You're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for November 22nd, 2020, the last Sunday after Pentecost, Christ the King. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Elizabeth Garnsey. It's based on Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. This year, we're told by the best of our health experts to stay home for Thanksgiving and not to travel or to receive even our own extended families. It's one more tradition in our lives upended for the sake of public health in the year 2020. But as one internet catchphrase puts it, better a Zoom Thanksgiving than an ICU Christmas. So now more than ever, one of the things I'm grateful for in our Episcopal tradition is simply our church calendar. It has much less to do with where we are and more to do with the when of our life together. As so many of our best laid plans have gone out the window this year, we long wistfully for a return to freedom of movement and gatherings small and large. The seasons of our church year constantly ground us. They reorient our gaze and they refocus our attention in richly meaningful ways if we observe them. Today we celebrate the close of another church year, the last Sunday after Pentecost, also known as Christ the King Sunday. This Thursday, we will celebrate Thanksgiving, our nation's spiritual but not religious holiday. And next Sunday is Advent One, when we begin our church year anew. To recap the the calendar year, next week we will return to the stories of cosmic anticipation and of John the Baptist, the prophet paving the way for Jesus, and to the stories of Mary and Joseph and the angel Gabriel, And finally, after 25 days of the season of Advent's anticipation, the birth of the baby Jesus, no less than the coming of God into the world. That's where it all begins for us, in the joy and excitement of new life, arriving where it's least expected, a life that comes to alter not only the course of our human history, but the condition of our human hearts. This new life of God in the flesh arrives in the quiet humility of a barn, off the grid, in the shadows, and far from any news headlines. And look where we go with this new birth every year, from baby Jesus born in an animal stall, through a life lived in wisdom and service, justice and courage, love and healing, passion and death, to resurrection, and a world forever infused with the good news of God becoming human so that we might become divine. And the church year culminates today on Christ the King Sunday. What a swirl of imagery and of endings and beginnings of earthly and cosmic paradox. And this week alone, kingship and thanksgiving, we have strange bedfellows. For the secular world, Thanksgiving is not a religious holiday, but I would argue it is one of our most spiritual. The Book of Common Prayer has seen fit to include it and to give it its own collect and lectionary readings for a Eucharist, which in normal years past, we have quietly observed a day early at our Wednesday Eucharist in the chapel. Thanksgiving is a day of what our culture could use a whole lot more of, sharing our tables if we could, serving one another with daily bread and taking time to be grateful. The Benedictine monk David Stendhal Rast says, gratefulness is really the key to happiness in life, or rather joy, 
which is the happiness that does not depend upon what happens. If you are grateful, you will be joyful regardless of what happens. So Thanksgiving comes as a very welcome feast, this year in particular, a year in which we have had no idea what might happen next in the workplace, in our schools, in our church, or in politics. On the feast of Christ the King, we are asked to shift our attention for a day from Jesus' life of humble service and wise teaching to the grandeur of kingship and all it entails, glory, honor, splendor, cosmic proportion, and last but emphatically not least, irony. This feast has been on the church calendars for less than 100 years since Pope Pius XI instituted it for Roman Catholics in 1925. He sought to counter the specter of fascist dictators haunting Europe after World War I with a reminder to Christians that our ultimate allegiance is to Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, a reminder that bears repeating. Many other churches adopted it, including this Episcopal Church, but we didn't fix it to this last day of the church year until 1970. So now our full church year culminates in this image of Christ the King, juxtaposed with the posture of thanksgiving and sharing. And thanksgiving is just as wise and possibly a more helpful way to culminate all that our church year has to teach us about Jesus and his wisdom path. Because one look at Christian art on the subject of Christ the King, and you might quickly observe that we can't always be trusted with irony. So many icons and paintings, in so many icons and paintings, Jesus appears in the bejeweled crowns of earthly kings, decked out with scepters and royal robes, and sitting on a throne. Dare I say, images resembling any of earth's kings and many of religion's bishops throughout history. Our hymnody, too, captures this kind of kingship with all this bringing forth of royal diadems and crowning him with many crowns. But in the Gospels, Jesus is called a king only in the context of mockery by his enemies, and Jesus is clearly not into it. In Mark, Pontius Pilate mockingly asks Jesus if he is the king of the Jews. Most kingships of this world preserve their power through politics, scapegoating, violence, and oppression, and many of them bend the truth to suit their needs. But Jesus says to Pilate, my kingdom is not from this world. He says, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Jesus' kingdom, such as it is, emerges only through the hearts of the people who listen to his voice, one person at a time, one community at a time. For those who take the time to listen and meditate on it in their hearts, they are able to discern the truth to which Jesus testifies, wherever it may be found. And it turns out this truth is love. Christ the King is a King of love. Our King of glory is a King of peace, to borrow from the poem by George Herbert, which our choir will sing for our closing hymn today. This truth that God is love has the power to expose the lies and deceptions of those who seek to obscure it with fear and hatred. The truth to which Jesus testifies calms all fears, comforts all suffering, 
unites all divisions. If Jesus is a king at all, he is a king of love, a king of peace. God looks out for the hungry and marginalized. God cares about the way we treat one another and how we deepen and grow in our love for God and for one another. God cares about how we grow in gratitude for our lives and for the blessings and challenges of our lives, even and especially the challenge of an historic pandemic. God cares for all of the ways that we are shaped by our blessings and by our challenges. In Matthew, today's passage we call the Great Judgment. Jesus crystallizes for his disciples what really matters in the end. It's not our power or prestige or accomplishments that declare who we are in the end. It's not our perfect attendance in church or the way we obey every letter of the Ten Commandments or profess every line in the Nicene Creed. In the end, none of, things, none of these things matter very much unless we have also treated the least among us with utmost care and concern. When was it that I saw someone hungry and gave them food or thirsty and gave them something to drink? And when was it that I saw a stranger and welcomed them or naked and gave them clothing? When was it that I saw someone who was sick or in prison and visited them? Just a couple of chapters earlier in Matthew, the Pharisees quizzed Jesus on what the most important commandments are in the laws of Moses. And Jesus summarizes them. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus makes clear there is no separation, no separation between ourselves and our neighbors. And in today's reading, Jesus goes one enormous step further. Not only is there no moral difference between ourselves and our neighbors, neither is there any moral difference between our neighbors and God. What we do or don't do for others, we do or don't do for God. I think we can safely lay aside the metaphorical language of separating sheep from goats because there's nothing in Jesus' life to suggest that God is a cruel tyrant condemning us to eternal punishment. That is language characteristic in Matthew to get his communities and our attention so we can make no mistake that any small act of kindness is a kindness ultimately towards God. Jesus issues an invitation into his life of service, a path of meaning and joy, and this way of life has eternal significance. It is in serving the Lord with gladness that we find our grounding, our purpose, and our connection with God and with one another. This year especially, our homeless and many marginalized citizens in our town and communities, and even some among us but under the radar, are in deep need of housing and food and comfort unlike ever before. Even though we can't go out and serve directly in the pandemic, we can redouble our contributions to the places that help, as so many in this church already have done and always do. Today and every Sunday, we gather around the Holy Eucharist, which means the Great Thanksgiving. And a crucial moment in our Great Thanksgiving is the moment when we are sent out to love and serve the Lord. Today and every Sunday, this great thanksgiving trumps the great judgment. Our challenge is to live into the thanksgiving and not into the fear of judgment. And every day, 
Seven whole days, not one in seven, as Herbert's poem goes, we have the opportunity to live a life of service, for it is in so doing that we serve our King, our King of glory, our King of peace. Amen. You can find more sermons on our website at www.stmarksnewcanon.org.